1: Minnesota Famous for being the land of 10,000 lakes That's that's a lot of lakes Also known for being the home To the Mall of America In the time of our lives when malls Are a shell of their former selves Which is very sad I'm at the age when going to a mall Was almost a daily activity Friends and I Would gather after school and just Hang out, grab a pretzel, buy a hat You know, kid stuff the Mall of America is a mall that I must see before I leave this earth, if only to visit the theme park inside and get a pretzel. Maybe a hat, to. I like hats. But did you know that Minnesota is also home to a majority of the monsters in America? I don't know if that's true, but sounds sounded pretty cool. They do have a lot, though, and today I'm going to talk about a few of them. From the icy forests to the serene lake shores, the land of 10,000 lakes holds secrets that have sparked the imagination and curiosity for generations. Do you believe in ghosts? No. Do you believe in monsters? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein and this is Haunted American History. Many people have ventured out into secluded areas with names like the Lost Highway and Lake Seven in search of the legend of the hairy man of the Vargas Trails over the last five decades. There are countless haunted stories of the Vargas Trails, such as glowing headstones, ghosts of little kids leaving their handprints on cars, and cults chasing people. But the hairy man? He stands out among them all. The hairy man of the Vargas Trail has caught the attention of some famous outsiders. You could say that Hollywood has been taken by the hairy man. Hmm, that's pretty funny. In an effort to discover what is behind all the hairy man claims, the cast and crew of the show Haunted Highway visited the small town of Vargas. Jill DiPardo and Devin Marble conducted street interviews in Vargas for a day. Then they conducted their own overnight investigation of the hairy man in the wilderness of Southwest Vergas. Many animal attacks in the area have been attributed to the hairy man, which is described as an aggressive eight-foot-tall humanoid. When Jael and Devon reached the last known location of the beast, they found some compelling evidence that this giant may not be a myth after all. Why is the legend of the hairy man so popular? Well, in order to find the answer to that question, one has to go through as many twists and turns as the trails themselves. It's easy to get lost as one story leads to another. But one thing is certain. The hairy man has captured the imagination of locals. And with the premiere of Haunted Highway, the entire nation was going to wonder about it. From the pages of the Vergas Archive... This newspaper has been in contact with about a dozen people from around the area who have reported encounters with the hairy man of the Virgus Trails. The beast has a humanoid appearance, ranging from 7 to 8 feet. Shaggy, long-haired characteristics are described in each account, along with a musky odor. More than a couple of times, the hairy man has been reported barefoot, which is particularly noticeable during the frigid winter months. Neither the first reported sightings of the hairy man nor the origin of this legend are known. It is thought that the hairy man first appeared in the late 1960s, but no one knows why. I heard about the hairy man legend when I was growing up on the Vargas Trail, said Patty Heath Gordon. Young explorers have been drawn down to the hilly, deeply wooded Vargas trails because of their minimal maintenance roads and dirt trails. In the 1970s, numerous sightings of the hairy man fueled the legend. Among them is lifelong resident Cheryl Hansen who encountered the beast while snowmobiling with her cousin in 1972. Hansen and her cousin were snowmobiling off the Vargas trails off County Road 130, just off of what is known as the Lost Highway. When the duo circled an old desolate cabin with their sleds, their winter afternoon enjoyment was suddenly cut short. A beast-like creature emerged from the cabin as we snowmobiled around it, holding a huge stick, Cheryl Hansen said. I was trying to rationalize what it was, but what really stood out to me was its bare feet in the snow. It had very broad shoulders, and I was trying to wrap my head around what it was. We took off quickly and went back to tell the adults. Although the adults were not convinced of Hansen's ordeal, it remains a lifelong mystery for her. I know what I saw that day, she said, and it wasn't human. In an ironic twist, Hansen owns the land where she saw the hairy man, and even has a cabin nearby. Even to this day, I can't drive out there at night alone, Hanson said. The family still has campfires out there, but none of us ever wander out alone. Lifelong Vargas resident Ken Zitzao, who has since passed away, was another well-known eyewitness. Zitzao, who was a regular visitor to the Vargas Trail, returned home one night very shaken after traveling on them. The hood of his car had a large dent, which was said to be caused by a large, hairy creature that jumped on it and began smashing its fists against it. Even though sightings have decreased since the 1980s, some Vargas residents still feel a creepy feeling that there are eyes watching them from the deep woods of the Vargas Trails. Skeptics around the world have been searching for concrete evidence for decades in hopes of finding a Bigfoot or a hairy man. The hairy man legend has mostly been supported by eyewitness accounts, but now there is some concrete evidence to back it up. An old resident of the town brought back a shocking artifact to Kim Doyle, the owner of Vargas 66 gas station. In front of her that day was a humanoid skull of unknown origin, one that doesn't have the characteristics of humans or primates. According to the skull's owner, an anonymous man, one of the oldest families in Vargas found it south of town, Doyle said. The skull has been in his possession for five or six years, and the family that gave it to him owned it for many years before that. In the Klondike, or Old Virgus Trails, is where most of the hairy man sightings occur. They thought it might be the hairy man offspring, she said. Whatever it is, it doesn't look human. I certainly don't know what it was. There are humanoid features on the skull, including its eye sockets, teeth, and even three or four intact vertebrae. In addition, there are plenty of features that do not resemble those of humans or primates. Vegetation is stuck to the back of the skull, suggesting that it was unearthed in a swampy area. The skull has never been tested by its owners, and very few people are even aware it exists. Which makes the discovery of something as strange as it is, in the same area as the hairy man sightings, even more intriguing. Legends are usually accompanied by hoaxes, which can be as creative and well done as Hollywood special effects. Cryptozoologist Ken Gerhard said that there are several features that are either missing or in the wrong place for it to be an anthropod. While Gerhard isn't an anthropologist or an expert on defining skull features, he has considerable experience researching Homo sapien and primate artifacts, which is necessary for cryptozoology. As soon as I saw the skull, I noticed that it had a number of unusual features, he said, or at least 10 to 12 noticeable characteristics that are not typical of a hominid. The face of the skull does resemble human, but the cavity is too small to contain a large brain. There is no nasal cavity bone, and the eye sockets are smaller than those of a hominid. However, Gerhard said he could not conclusively determine whether the skull was real or a well-produced fake. The only evidence I have is photos, which makes it difficult to make a solid determination, Gerhard explained. I have seen many ingenious manufactured products in my time in this field. I know one thing for sure, though. It looks bizarre and strange. The Legend of the Hairy Man also features a well-known hermit who lived for decades in the Vergas Trail area. His appearance was that of an unkept man with long and straggly hair, and he was aggressive with people who he thought were trespassers. He was exiled from his family as a child, and he lived in the wilderness for most of his life, said Vergas resident Rob Arnett. His parents owned a significant portion of the land surrounding the Lost Highway, and they sold it off over time. It was still his family's land, so he got pretty aggressive with people. According to Arnett, he lived off the land, never took a shower, and always wore furs. A powerful force nearly pushed Arnett's heavy 1973 Chevy Malibu into a ditch on the trails. I don't know what it was, he said. According to another combo hermit and hairy man legend, the Beast lived in Old Man Bunley's shack, located on the Fargus Trails. During the 1940s or 1950s, Bundley lived in a shack partially built into a hill. His shack burnt down after his death. Despite this, Vargas Trail's adventurers would camp near the old cabin because it was said that the hairy man lived there. The hairy man was supposed to live at Old Man Bundley's cabin down a creepy road, said Heath Gordon. I've never seen him or heard anyone else who has, but the legend just grew. It's eight or nine miles from the cabin where Hanson and her cousin on their snowmobiles saw the hairy man for the first time. There are many eyewitness accounts, and a dozen came forward during the production of the sci-fi investigation, Haunted Highway, along with the possible skull and stories about what the hairy man is. It seems that everyone in town wanted to talk to the production crew. But even with all the naysayers and a town full of skeptics, some do not venture alone out into the dark, narrow passageways of what is known as the Vargas Trails. Hey folks. Uh, I'm not going to go into the long thank yous for everyone that I normally do in between stories, something like this. I'm going to keep it short. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention that, uh, my YouTube page. I keep saying, telling everybody my YouTube channel, oh, the link's in the show description. But the link, yeah, the link's there, but it's not the link to the correct show page. Someone brought it to my attention. Someone sent me a message. It was like, hey, Chris, uh, I'm trying to click on the, sh- the YouTube link and it's not bringing me anywhere. And they're like, oh, maybe it's me. No, 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 no. It's not you. I assure you, it was me. It was something I did wrong. So that was the link to my YouTube page before I changed the name of my YouTube page to, it used to be, you know, YouTube slash Wanted American History Podcast. But then I was like, wait a minute, I'm not doing my podcast on YouTube. So people are going to think that. I don't want them to think that. I'm doing like a kind of a different thing, like mostly like review stuff of like, haunted attractions and theme parks and kind of the things that I like. It's more of a personal page for me. So it's Chris underscore, I think HAH is what it's now, but everyone was clicking on it. And it was just bringing them to something that doesn't exist. So I've updated it and going forward, it will be the correct YouTube link if you are looking for me there. And uh, yeah, I know I said this wasn't gonna be long-winded, but hey, look at that, I'm a liar. Alrighty, righty, let's keep going with Minnesota. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for the reviews and the the all the you know all the stuff. I thank is about all the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. And uh, let's keep going, Minnesota. Later. Hey, folks. I've got a nice little factoid for you guys. Do you know that one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket lists? If that's you, which odds are one in five. Make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. And if you struggle with pronunciation, like old Chrissy over here, Babbel will work miracles. Head on over to babble.com slash haunted for a special deal for my listeners. Right now, you can get 55% off your Babble subscription. But that's only for my listeners at babble.com slash haunted. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash haunted. Rules and restrictions may apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks?
0: Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba da ba ba
1: ba. It's right there. Over there by the fishing boat. Oh my God. You don't see it? They don't see it. Oh my god, they must think it's a log. Unless it is a log. It's a catfish! It's an otter! Ah, oh, it's, it, it's just a boat wake. Could also be a sea serpent. Over the centuries, people have glanced across the glistening waters of Lake Pepin, where the Mississippi River widens into a basin as long as Scotland's Loch Ness and they've seen something. Many times, the site is a dead tree hung up on a sandbar, a huge sturgeon breaking the surface, or the wake of another boat. But not always. Jill Gary, who owns Treats and Treasures in Lake City, Minnesota, a town of 5,000 on Lake Pippin, believes there was something else there at one time. Gary sells t-shirts, bibs, mugs, and candy depicting the friendly Peppy. On his sparkling patty wheeler named Pearl of the Lake, Larry Nielsen offers tourists excursions out every day. But he also doesn't know. According to www.peppy.net, he offered $50,000 as a reward for anyone who can provide undisputed evidence of the existence of the real-life creature living in Lake Pepin. So far, there hasn't been a single claim. Although he added, half laughing, that's what my wife's worried about. The reward is undoubtedly a publicity stunt, and has drawn some national attention. But Nielsen also wants proof, because he has seen things he can't explain. He saw this wake 200-some feet long and 2 feet high going upstream. Upstream! On a calm lake. In 2009, he saw a log in the water. And he knew it was a log. It looked just like a log. But it was moving against the current, before slipping away. I mean, Pepe is real, right? Putting his hands on the spokes of Pearl's Big Wheel, Nelson said, I don't know. During the French exploration of this region in the late 1600s, Father Louis Hannepin saw a serpent that was seven or eight feet long and as big as a man's leg where the Minnesota River flows into the Mississippi River. The river then was open from Lake Itasca to the Gulf of Mexico, and Minnesota was open from the ocean. It is believed that ancient effigy mounds in the area depicted gigantic serpents. Indians only used strong dugout canoes on the lake, given legends of something large enough to swamp birch bark boats. We are still unsure if these sightings reflect creation myths or actual sightings, said Chad Lewis, a Minneapolis man who wrote the book Pepe, the lake monster of the Mississippi River and Mountains. An unknown large creature was seen in the water by river rafters from St. Louis, Missouri, according to newspapers in August of 1867. Four years later, a more vivid account appeared in the Wabasha County Sentinel, describing the creature as being between the size of an elephant and rhinoceros and moving rapidly. The following year, another newspaper described a dark, strange-looking object rising six feet out of the water. A huge eel was later spotted. According to local legend, a young man named Ralph Samuelson saw a creature glide across Lake Pippin one moonlit night in 1922 and thought, why can't I do the same? A few months later, he invented the sport of water skiing. I know what you're thinking. Almost certainly not. Except that Samuelson did invent water skiing. And Lake City is known as the birthplace of water skiing. When Larry Nielsen brought Pepe back to life, some feared people would think we were foolish. Or they'd be scared to go in the water, said Gary, the shopkeeper. But we see Pepe as a shy creature. It won't bite. 20 years ago, Chad Lewis was pursuing a master's degree in psychology driven by the question what makes people believe in the strange and unusual while growing up near Elmwood one of three Wisconsin towns along with Campbell Sport and Belleville that claimed to be the UFO capital we'll cover those when uh, we come around to Wisconsin he had ample reason to ponder that question in addition he had ample reason to earn a living so he became a grant writer he wrote books and he lectured on folklore on the side it's so, probably a pretty good gig He eventually became a full-time folklorist. Come on, how, how does a guy do that? Collecting legends and accounts of curious experiences from all over the world, hmm. That's probably how. You have to travel. I don't really like planes. It also doesn't hurt that he looks like Sean Penn. I do not look like Sean Penn. All right, well, I guess I'll stick with this. What makes someone believe in the weird and unusual? Personal experience, he replied or just knowing someone who has. Lewis's research intrigues him even more. The more educated people are, even if they don't believe in something, they are more likely to believe in the possibility of these things. Our awareness of what we don't know has increased the more we learn. Regarding the existence of legends, he has always taken a 50-50 stance, which he calls simple, safe, and accurate. When asked about Lake Pippin a few years ago, He blurted out that he was tipping towards 75% that something unidentifiable is there. But what that thing is, he has no idea. But there's something big and real here, he says. It's a sturgeon. It's always a sturgeon. Until it's not. What else besides largemouth and smallmouth bass, walleye, black crappies, sturgeon, northern pike, bluegill, and yellow perch is in this lake? What does it eat? Does it need to pop up and breathe? Is it a bottom dweller? An ancient dinosaur? A large eel? Alligators can grow up to 10 feet long and weigh 300 pounds. And did I mention their broad snout and double row of sharp teeth? Did I mention that alligators live in the lake? And whether or not that they account for peppy? Last but not least, sightings over the centuries indicate reproduction, so There must be multiples, right? Lewis said that he has more questions than answers today, which is fine with him. But it's funny how we need to believe in some things out there, he said. For him, legend provides the opportunity to experience adventure, a motivation he encourages others to adopt as well. You might find yourself in a new place, learning new things, or just moving far enough out of your comfort zone to discover a fresh context for your life when you search for Pepe, for Bigfoot, a UFO. Ghost, or just an unfamiliar horizon. And if none of that works for you, you could just go and spend a day out on a beautiful lake. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton, recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Its body was unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh, giving off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. Quoted from Basil Johnston, Ojibwe teacher and scholar. Ontario, Canada. In the northern woodlands of Minnesota and Canada's central regions, as well as the forests of the Great Lake region, there lies tales of a malevolent being referred to as the Wendigo. It is said to have both monstrous and human features, and it can inhabit a human being and convert them into something abominable, like a snowman. This creature is known for its cannibalistic nature, Bloodthirsty behavior, an insatiable desire for wealth, and just not really a nice guy. Additionally, those familiar with the entity call it Wintigo, Wintigo, Wintiago, or we each meaning the same thing. The evil spirit that devours mankind. For generations, there have been reports of giants among the indigenous people of that area. They have described them as giants much larger than humans. The Wendigo is a malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural being strongly associated with winter, coldness, famine, and starvation in all of the cultures. Although descriptions can vary. Algonquin legend described the creature as a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it is thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed with missing lips and toes. The Ojibwe would describe it as, a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a wendigo himself hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. According to legend, a Wendigo emerges whenever a human resorts to cannibalism in order to survive. This used to happen often when settlers and Indians found themselves stuck in the unforgiving snow and ice in the northern woods. In those cases, those still eaten alive may have been driven to eat their deceased companions for sustenance. Other stories suggest that a wendigo could also manifest if someone had a vice of extreme gluttony or greed. This myth was likely used as an impetus for cooperation and moderation among people. Native American versions of this culture tell tales of a massive 15-foot spirit that was once a human, yet has since been changed into this beast by sorcery. Descriptions may differ slightly, but the wendigo is generally depicted with eyes that shine in the dark, long fangs and sharp claws, plus an overly long tongue. It is said to possess sallow, yellowish skin or be covered in matted fur. Several supernatural powers are attributed to it as well, like being stealthy and able to hunt its prey without a miss, knowledge of every corner of its surroundings and control of the nature's elements by using dark arts. It is also represented as gluttonous, yet starving. According to legend, Wendigos are cursed to wander the land, continually seeking to satisfy their voracious appetite for human flesh. And if there is nothing left to eat, they starve. I'm like the Wendigo of Chips Ahoy, I can't stop. The Wendigo legend gives its name to the modern medical term, Wendigo psychosis. Some psychiatrists view it as a syndrome that creates an intense desire for human flesh and an extreme fear of becoming a cannibal. Listen, I have the cure for this. Don't eat people. Ironically, this psychosis usually affects people living near the Great Lakes of Canada and the United States. It tends to occur during winter months when these people are isolated by heavy snowfall. Symptoms include reduced appetite, nausea, and vomiting. Eventually, the individual develops a delusion of transformation into a Wendigo monster. People who suffer from this disorder often perceive others around them as edible, while feeling great apprehension at the prospect of becoming cannibals themselves. Hmm. People who were suffering from the Wendigo psychosis were typically treated by traditional native healers when they showed signs of the condition. What kind of signs are those? I mean, you just start eating your friend and it's like, oh, Jimmy's got the psychosis today. Historically, possessed people were executed if these attempts failed, and they began to threaten others or act violently and antisocially. This psychosis has been reported for hundreds of years. This is the most terrifying thing that I've ever talked about on this podcast. A Plains Cree trapper from Alberta named Swift Runner suffered one of the worst cases in 1878. A Hudson's Bay Company trader, Swift Runner, was married and a father of six children, He served as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police in 1875. During the winter of 78 and 79, numerous Cree families, including Swift Runner and his own, faced starvation. Unfortunately, his eldest son was the first victim of starvation. This led Swift Runner to succumb to Wendigo psychosis, and instead of traveling 25 miles to acquire food from the Hudson Bay's company post, he decided to kill the rest of his family and himself consume them. He ended up confessing to these murders at Fort Saskatchewan and was executed by authorities. In the late 1800s and in the 1920s, a Wendigo was reported to have made several appearances near Roseau in Northern Minnesota. Each time it was reported, an unexpected death followed and then it disappeared. Famed OG Cree chief and medicine man, Jack Fiddler gained a reputation for successfully combating Wendigos it is said that he defeated 14 Wendigos during his lifetime, some of which had been sent by enemies, while others were family members with an unquenchable craving for human flesh. As resources dwindled in trading expeditions, Fiddler's own brother, Peter Flett, was claimed by the Wendigo psychosis before he could be saved. The Wendigo legend was recognized by Hudson Bay's company traders, the Cree, the missionaries, sometimes dismissing it as mental illness or superstition, Nevertheless, there are reports from the company's records that detail occurrences of people turning into wendigos and devouring human remains. Canadian authorities arrested Fiddler and his brother Joseph for murder in 1907. Jack committed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced to life in prison. He eventually received a pardon, but died three days later in jail before learning of it. During famine, the Assiniboine, Cree, Energy boy perform a satirical dance to emphasize the seriousness of the Wendigo taboo. Native Americans came into greater contact with Western ideologies during the 20th century, resulting in a sharp decline in Wendigo psychosis cases. However, Wendigo creature sightings continue to be reported, particularly in northern Ontario, near the Cave of the Wendigo, and around Kenora, where traders, trappers, and trackers have allegedly spotted it for decades. It is still widely believed that the Wendigo roams the woods and prairies of northern Minnesota and Canada. Kenora, Ontario, Canada has been dubbed the Wendigo capital of the world for many years. Sightings have continued well into today. Whether these creatures are products of imagination or glimpses into the unknown, one thing is certain. The mysteries of Minnesota continue to captivate and intrigue us. So remember, the world is full of mysteries that deserve exploration. So until next time, keep exploring, wondering, and keeping your imagination alive. You never know what you may come across. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. I'd like to give a shout to my newest patron, David. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon, and my first uh, international member of the Patreon, all the way from New Zealand. So thank you so much for joining. Your support means the world to me. Um, if you guys want to check out the Patreon patreon.com dot one to the American history early releases and ad free episodes and little shout outs here thank you all so much again later oh my god what wonderful stories
0: I'm such a big fan I live in the
1: New York area
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Molly loves you baby